Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Listen to the Inside Curling podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It's our last show of the year for Inside Curling. Quite a year it was, Kevin. Quite a year it was. Uh, and Warren, you stuck with us the whole time. <laughs> uh, Jim, it's because of you. And of course, Kevin and Warren have been with us the whole way, our two World Curling Hall of Famers. So on the show today, it's a special show. Uh, we thought what we'd do is bring on the whole Sportsnet crew, which is uh, Kevin, of course, uh, Joan McCusker, Mike Harrison, Rob Foles. Kev, sounds like a ton of fun uh, with those guys. <laughs> always, always a ton of fun. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, so we're going to get uh, all your input and a wrap on the season that was from all of them and uh, can't wait to hear from them. That's what we thought we would do for the entire show today. You want to email us? InsideCurling at gmail.com. You're not shutting down the Facebook thing, are you, Warren, over the summer? No, we'll keep it going, Jim. We'll keep the yeah, conversations going. I, I, I know you would. We would like to acknowledge Goldline. Goldline Curling's Momentum Rush shoes are the fastest, most stable, and most comfortable shoes Goldline has ever made. Also, Mailbag, we do it each and every week, brought to you by Nestle Boost. Up your nutrition game with Nestle Boost. Also, we want to thank uh, our other sponsors, uh, Coyote Tractor. Uh, love them on board with us. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, UTVs, and ZTRs to do it. Coyote, we dig dirt. Also, our latest sponsor, uh, Hearing Life. If vision places the world in front of us, hearing places us at its center. Hearing Life invites you to love your ears with a free hearing test. No referral needed. Visit hearinglife.ca to book your free hearing test today. I'm afraid to say this, but this is our last show of the season. Uh, the reason I'm afraid to say that is because I never know if it's going to be my last show, period, and never get invited <laughs> back. Do we get a vote? Yeah, stop it, Falsey. All right? Our Sportsnet crew have been bringing you curling for how many years now? I'm not sure. But Kevin, of course, uh, each and every slam sits in with Mike Harris and Joe McCusker and Rob Falls. And uh, they are your curling family, man. If you're a fan of curling, uh, we couldn't do it without you guys. And so what we thought we would do, uh, gang, is bring you on and get your take on the season that was, surprises, failures, where you thought the whole thing was going, what you think is going to happen in the future. But before we do that, because uh, I was in radio, I've got to ask you, Falsey, because you'll be honest, uh, I don't trust Harris, right, to give me a straight answer, but who first, while you were going to commercial, was the first one not to mute their mic, and they talked over a commercial? That would be the rookie on the crew, Kevin Martin. Oh, it was oh, I? <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> you were wanting to comment on the shot that, or the lack of shot that was just made, and you continued to count. And I said, yeah, and the score is such and such and such. And you went, why would he do? And then he went, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so we left him hanging. It was a bit of a cliffhanger that way. But Joan and Mike are such grizzled <laughs> veterans. Okay, Mike is grizzled. Joan is a veteran. How's that? <laughs> Better. Sure. Better. Yeah. <laughs> but the great thing is about the, this trio is is uh, they're very flexible. They let the other person talk. They have their back and forth. So it, it makes it fun to do. And it's it's an easy conversation to do curling with them. I don't even suppose to be of their even they're close to their level. So I can let them do the heavy lifting. I can get us to and from commercial most times. That's what's so enjoyable to me. I can just listen to these three guys and and, and go. Sometimes I nod off, but, uh, you know, that's my age. But I help you with that, though. <laughs> yeah. Joan pokes me all the time. Wake up, do the commercial. I sit beside Rob. and So I usually give him a, a big shove and say, it's your turn. 
Well, Kev, you're lucky that you only said, what's the score? I've, <laughs> I've, I've done far worse, pal, where I got uh, suspended, actually. Yeah. So, Rob, talk about, uh, before, we, before we get into the season that was, uh, from a broadcast point of view, so many things have changed uh, in the game of curling and how they bring it to everyone's uh, living room. Uh, you know, it used to be a game that they watched, and now you got around the rings, you got more cameras, you've got um, you know more more things to do. Going forward, Rob, what what's going to be changes and adjustments to how the game is presented to everyone on television? Well, that's a that's a terrific question, uh, Jim. You know, Warren did a great piece on on one of the previous shows about the advent of adding the microphone so you could hear the skips and you you know you added that extra voice and you got an idea what they were thinking what they wanted to do that was huge the telestrator was huge i think maybe the next step is a little more virtual type things where you, not unlike golf where you have the, the the ball tracker i think there's maybe something we can play with in that to take the game to a different level but the advent of being able to hear every player sometimes good sometimes bad but what they're thinking, where they want to go with the game has been huge. And it allows the viewer and, and us in the booth to, to share that. And then to Joan and, and Mike and Kevin, they can say, yeah, I think this is a good idea. I don't I don't understand why they're doing this. And you get that back and forth there. But I think more perhaps the virtual stuff that we're seeing, uh, that we're seeing in golf might be something they could explore. Uh, let's start with Joan and then we'll get Mike's opinion after Joan. Um, on the women's game, uh, you know, going into the year, you maybe had some predictions of how it would uh, play out. Uh, there are some household names in curling, and they they certainly were at the forefront most of the year, but but sometimes not. Any surprises for you, Joan? How would how would you wrap up the year in the in the women's game? I think there was a surprise, and that was uh, Isabella Rano uh, rising to the top to win a, a Grand Slam. I think that was a huge surprise on the women's side. I I also think that um, the big story I think for the for the women was the the pregnancies. You know, we all we've been talking about this for years about planning around the Olympic quadrennial and how important that is. But that takes on a whole other meaning when when women are planning their families. And we saw so many women uh, plan to start their family in this first year. And how did that affect teams? Well. It meant a fifth player needed to come in. It meant that teams needed to switch around. And I think, I don't know if it was a surprise, but I think it, it definitely was more than what anyone ever expected, that there would be that many of the top teams in the world, including Anna Hasselborg's team, that would be taking this year and taking some time off for maternity leaves. So that was uh, super interesting. And I think it will continue to be a story next year. Because then the next part is, is how do you travel and continue to train at this high level with babies on board? Is there childcare providers? Are we continuing with five-person teams? How does this all play out? So um, that's been a big story. And the surprise would be how many players uh, chose to uh, start their families this year. So, Mike, give, give us your one, two, three of the season and your wrap-up. Yeah, I think I think the uh, the real question, as Joan mentioned, is how the teams that decide well decide or decide is the right word, but you know having families on the women's side, how they're going to not only to to having childcare or having those, those challenges, but also we saw a lot of five person teams rotating in and out. You know, Rachel Holman's team comes to mind. Um, Rachel herself is pregnant as well, so they're used to it because they've had the rotating uh, lineup going through. But I think it's important to understand that curling in the quadrennial that first year is an opportunity for for some teams to do exactly what we've seen with the women's game and also we're going to see some new teams because things just didn't work out right with with some right. of the other teams so i you know in terms in terms of surprises i love the isabella vrana story um at the women the, uh, the turkish team was a revelation i thought they played so well there the women's game is wide open that's the beauty of the women's side of the equation i just think that we really don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, Alina Petz and, and Silvana Tiranzoni and her team are obviously uh, four-time repeating chance. Even that, they're bringing a new player into the mix there as well. So, uh, yeah, lots lots of good stories going into next year. Um, you know, and uh, on the men's side, you know, it just seems that, you know, Adine and, and Moet and Yushu and 
You know, it's the, the same team seem to be rising to the top. I'm just going to go back to the shot. It is the call, actually. So if you play just an insane amount of spin on a stone, at the very end, the last few feet, uh, tends to actually almost come back up. This would be the best shot in history if made. The crowd with a chuckle. I'm not sure if they're expecting this to actually be a. Yeah, they don't realize attempt. this is an attempt. Perfect spot. Come on. This is really close. Oh, it's real close. What's he got here? What's he got? Oh, unbelievable. Oh, my God. You know, the Dean through. Are we going to see some more experimentation with handles and sweeping techniques and all that sort of stuff that uh, was that was just kind of a, a real revelation for so many of uh, so many of us you know they they were just more prepared than every other team <laughs> so, right. so that was kind of cool as well so yeah lots lots to talk about and like I said the beauty of our sport is we've got so many good teams on both the men's and the women's side and the great thing for us that uh, at sportsense we get to see them all the time at, at our grand slam series so yeah I'm really looking forward to it Rob falls the longtime host uh I don't know you're 52 years in now, Falsey. <laughs> well, since the 1800s, when they first, you know, started to <laughs> carve the hacks right out of the ice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah all right. You got the floor, Falsey. What What did you take away from the year? I, I thought the seeing the Italian team perform as well as they did in the Grand Slam, and some of the uh, international men's teams uh, was great to see. From a couple of reasons, the, the fact that we're seeing the game grow worldwide, and there's competitive teams everywhere. And this may be selfish on my part, but to see them and how much it meant to them to compete at the slam level and to see them win at the slam level, to watch that Italian team um, to, and their celebration or celebration of any team that wins on the Grand Slam circuit. Uh, first of all, you're spent, you're a spent bullet and you're just elated. And to watch that and to realize the importance of the Grand Slam circuit and and I'm not taking anything away from national championships. And this is something that has developed over the years and was the design of the Slam Tour to get the best teams in the same spot at the same time. And they now take this as a true test of their skill and what this might bode down the road, whether it be a European title, a world title, or an Olympic title. Having success on the Slams is vital to their success as a team. Joan mentioned the Verano team, uh, huge. The Italian team. We're seeing so many other teams step up. Fujisawa. Yeah, the Fujisawa celebration itself. It was it was uh, typical Japanese because they were so polite and respectful. Uh, shook hands, didn't, and then they went crazy. And then they went absolutely. <laughs> they went full Adam Hadwin without the tackling. You know what I mean? They, they, it was just <laughs> remarkable and wonderful to see. And that's what I love about the series and the fact that the game is going. And Mike mentioned we're seeing other teams. Will we see them on the Slam Tour? Maybe we will um, because they know there's the opportunity to make their game the best it can be. The fourth guy in the booth, the bear, the lovable. That's what Mike always says, lovable. No, I'm not sure that's the exact word. <laughs> Kev, you're you're up, man. Well, you know what? Uh, to me, um, I agree with Falzi with, uh, with Italy um, coming off that Olympic gold and mixed doubles and then winning a Grand Slam in the men's. But it goes a little further than that. When you take into consideration the, the, the major events last year, you did have in the Champions Cup Holman and Botcher winning. So two Canadian teams. But that was the only event where two Canadian teams. And now the, the, the fields are about split. If there's 16 teams, it's about eight Canadian. It's about eight from other countries. Um, mm -hmm. Will it get to be probably more international teams? Likely, as things go forward, um, as parity exists. Uh, but you've got, uh, and the Nationals, Terran's only winning. Uh, Retorn as, of course, and Fujisawa, to Mike's point. Verano, in hers. The World Championships, Mowat, Terranzoni. And then in the mixed doubles worlds, you've got Dropkin and, uh, and TC. So, uh, out of the U.S., so I think going forward, the exciting part for me is where does curling actually go next? Like, yes, this is a fantastic year, but with a year like that, my brain just can't stop spinning as to where the game goes next with this international influence. Um, according to uh, some people I was talking to the World Curling Federation in the last couple of worlds, watch out for India. They're, they're, they're going to be coming up in the game. Turkey is becoming very strong. So you've got countries that will be in the Grand Slam mix fairly soon. Uh, who knows when? To Mike's point, the top men's teams in Nicodine, Bruce Mallett, Brad Guju, Brad's getting a little older. 
Uh, Nick's, you know, getting a little dinged up or a lot dinged up. But then you've got Botcher coming in behind and, and Matt Dunstone. So it'll take a little time for room, I think, for, for more nations to get involved. But it's going to be exciting with the growth on the, if you want to say, the B-level teams. And when they get up to A in these countries that aren't normal curling countries, but they're, they're just making strides up in an inc- incredible pace. And that's the thing where Italy, you had never said this until they magically won the mixed doubles gold. But wait a minute here, Stefania Constantini, their women's team are becoming very, very strong as well. So we can see them being top of the near the top of the podium in men's, women's, and mixed doubles. And that's what I see happening in Turkey as well. They're getting way too good, way too fast. It doesn't make any sense. So what's going to happen over the next few years? Pretty exciting. Warren, there's our boy. Jim. <laughs> yes, sir. Okay, well, I'm going to look at things a little differently. I'm kind of going to pick who I thought were the two teams of the year on the women's side and the men's side. I think on the women's side, there's a little question. Terenzoni would have to be the team of the year. They started off the season really, really strong. And, of course, uh, kept it off with that sixth world championship win for for uh, Elena Petz. They seem to kind of slide out of the year a little quieter. But I think after winning that world championship, they had kind of accomplished what they set out to. And I think without question, they were the head and shoulders women's team of the year. I think on the men's side, Gushu would have to be the one we'd look at that had the most successful year. Um, he won a Grand Slam. He won the Briar. He was in the finals of the world. He was very close in everything that he was in. And I think uh, overall, he probably played the best of, of any team out there day in and day out. I look at probably the most entertaining game I thought all year that was played was the final in the Champions Cup between him and Botcher, which I thought was uh, an outstanding game. If you look back at that game, it was probably a run back missed by Mark Nichols. And I think about the sixth end it was probably the difference in who won and lost that game. And so I looked at that as being a, a fantastic game. And I look at Botcher. Uh, that team started slow. They they came out of the gate a little hesitant with a few problems, I think. They ironed those out. When we talked to them on the show not long ago, they talked a lot about getting their, their releases consistent for everybody in the team, which they worked on. And I thought at the end of the year, they were without question probably the strongest team that was out there. And I think they're going to do great things next year if they can keep it going. In the women's side in Canada, Anderson is, uh, again, outstanding year, winning four Scotties has got to be uh, get anybody's attention. And I thought at the end of the year, the Holman team uh, came on much stronger. And I think despite the fact that uh, they hiccuped a few times, I think, again, that team is going to be a lot stronger next year at the world level. Without question, Mowat, I think, again, as Kevin suggests, Nick Adeen, those guys will be there. But Nick, again, is is kind of battered up. Um, and if he can sustain himself through the injuries, they'll be right there as well. So I think next year is going to be really entertaining overall. And this last year was certainly that as well. The elephant in the room all the time. Uh, it's been like that ever since we started this show. And long before it always is who who gets to get in the national championship. Uh, you know, who gets to get in the Scotties, who gets to get in the Briar, who gets to play in these grand slams. Kevin's kind of a fan of some of that relegation stuff in, in the world. You know, particularly in Western Canada, there's four or five or six teams who could make the Briar who are not going to. Mike, you, you heard that question. What what do you say about all that? Well, I'm 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 a little bit in the uh, relegation camp with Kevin when it comes to uh, Briar, Scotties. Uh, however, how now that I've sat on the other side of the fence for for a year with Northern Ontario curling, I do see the need to to keep the provincial representation and territorial representation at at those events. So I think they've got it uh, figured out pretty well. I like the idea of naming the teams that are going to the Scotties and Briar earlier. Uh, they don't have to play in their provincial playdowns. That opens up a few spots for teams that might not otherwise get an opportunity. So, you know, whether or not we're going to to see that change significantly, I, I can't imagine it's going to change much more than it has already, certainly for the next three years. So I think Curling Canada is trying to do the right thing and, and make sure the better teams have their chance. To be frank, you know, beyond the top four or five teams in the country, Who's going to win the world championship? That's that's really what we have to ask. You know, years ago, you could have argued top seven or eight teams might have been have, have a chance at the world. Right now, three or four on the men's and women's side would be generous, I think. Um, so, yeah, I think they're going to make sure that those teams are there. And that's that's a good thing. I think they've done done the right thing. So besides going to the relegation system, which was not popular on any front, 
I think uh, Carling Canada's doing doing kind of doing the right thing with uh, with regards to the Briar and the Scotties. Do you agree with that, Rob? I sit in my curling club, and and just when we get to that point of the year, just with the guys and, and women in my in my curling club, and they always say, "Oh, I love watching the Scotties. I love watching the Briar, but how do we get the best team in the worlds? Because then all of a sudden you get to the worlds and you're seeing all these international teams perform very well. When are we going to get a Canadian team that's going to be be there? And I think I've thrown this at the at the the people in the booth a number of times over uh, a drink after a broadcast. Is that is there a way that we could rejig the national championship to to make to make it open to a, like a super team, whether it be two players from Ontario, one from Alberta, and one from Newfoundland and Labrador? So you have a team like that. You could have let's say six or eight of those teams who want to represent Canada. They're all Canadian and they could be there. And then you have almost like a trial to get into those other spots for the national championship. Now I understand, and this is going to, it's going to cause people great consternation is that then we're taking away the true provincial representation. People from BC don't have a BC team to cheer for people from the East coast, perhaps aren't going to have a team. They're going to have to go through that second tier. But if, if the, problem that a lot of people say we're facing is that we can't send the best team to the world championship because our best team might be two players there, two players there, one player there. Is there a way or can there be a way where all the provincial associations uh, understand that and realize that maybe there should be a way to sit down and look at how to do the national championship? So when we send a team to the Olympics or to the world's we are sending the best team that we've got. And I know you guys have discussed this too on Inside Curling a number of times. We talk about national training centers and getting the best teams together. I don't know with the fact that we have provincial associations across the country to get them to have a consensus to say this is the way we should do it. But right now, if if Brad Guju was to be, let's say he did not win the Briar, he's not eligible to curl for Newfoundland and Labrador because he's got two non-resident players. So you're, you're handcuffing Brad Gushu in a way, or maybe you're opening the door then for Brad to find young curlers in Newfoundland and Labrador. But there's a team that is very good. They're the Canadian champions. Two players are not from that province. I, I don't know if there's an easy way around it. Kev, do you think? Well, I think, first of all, with the Brad Brad Guju situation, Brad's arguably our best curler. I would certainly vote that. I think you just make up a new rule. So I think that's easy. But the, uh, so the, that's easily solved. That's a half hour meeting. You just make up a new rule so that it works. But um, getting away from the political part of this, I really think that isn't this maybe a good opportunity, to your point, Falzi, where we can maybe start with some sort of an owner of teams, this is something I've been harping about for 20 years, and maybe the door is almost ready for that. And that's a, maybe it's a franchise situation, but certainly an owner and a manager owning a certain entity. The way it's set up right now, you cannot pull a super team together. Who's going to pick it? Oh my goodness, what a mess. So no, that, that can't be done right now. But I think first step maybe is to take the team name off the teams. No more Team Guju. It's under some entity. And that corporation gets the best team they can. And over time, you're going to see certain teams become stronger because they're better managed, better owners. And, uh, and that can maybe then open a door for Canada to continue to, to, uh, to climb the ladder. Um, when it comes to junior curling, though, these national training camps are absolutely critical to bringing in our ta- top athletes in the West, our top athletes in the East, maybe in Central as well, because we have such a big country. So that we have these junior training camps, I think they're absolutely necessary. But when it comes to adult curling, how do we grow the sport? The way to do it is to allow teams to have more resources so they can practice more, they can train harder, and be able to compete with the Bruce Mowats and the Sylvana Terranzonis because they practice every day. We need to start to do that, but we can't do that if you have a 9-to-5 job. To that point, Kevin, there was, there was plenty of talk at the uh, recent Curling Canada meetings in Toronto about junior teams in particular overplaying and not training enough. So the, the, the concern was, and it's a legitimate concern, was the level of play 
at the U21 and U18 championships where the top two or three teams were good, but the bottom dozen were terrible, like terrible curlers. They just didn't have, they, they couldn't slide straight. They weren't throwing at the broom. The hitting and staying was a challenge. Hitting the rings was a challenge. Their poor sweeping techniques weren't, weren't coached properly. And a lot of discussion around that chase for points that we're seeing in the adult game, where even in the juniors, in some provinces, there is still a chase for points to get to their provincial championship, but there's not enough time spent actually practicing, not enough time actually spent with high-level coaches, etc. So there's definitely, Curling Canada's aware of that challenge, and I think that was encouraging to hear. Um, also, uh, David Murdoch uh, was there, um, you know, kind of sharing his wisdom as a newly appointed uh, head of high performance. And some of his insights were quite uh, new to Curling Canada, which was great. Uh, anything, anything new is good. But a lot of it was focused on training, right? A lot of it focused on skills development, which I think is really, really important. And, and uh, to your point of that translating into the adult game, I think uh, that's also on the radar as well, where, Rob, to your point, the idea of that three or four teams in the current format can actually decide to just form kind of all-star teams across the country and, and use their, you, you know, to kind of take the chances, try to finish one of those top CTRS spots and get their spot at the national championship. There is no restriction right now on them having to reside in a certain province, but it's a, it's a risk obviously for those teams because they, they are ineligible for any provincial competition if they don't get there, which I think has to be addressed and is to, to what you said, Kevin, it's a, it's a 30 minute rule change discussion, right? That's, it's pretty easily addressed if, if they wanted to, to do that. But um, I know it won't go, it won't pass easily through the provincial associations. I can tell you that right now. But I go back to the curling Canada issue here. Um, they're in a conundrum uh, w- without question. And, and uh, most of the people on the inside know it. Um, I identified this 12 years ago that we had crossed a line where the Briar and the Scotties, as we had known them, were no longer what they were in the fact that there was too much of an imbalance. And uh, since that point in time, that's just gotten worse. So you've got, at any given point in time, I'll pick a number, seven, eight teams there that, that have no chance. And uh, I think what they're moving on here next year, I think they're heading in the right direction. And, and I, I think maybe it's going to be a progression. But the fact they've got 18 teams now, and you now have virtually four teams that do not have to go through that process. And in essence as well, they've also said if you are a team that chooses to not go through the process of a provincial playoff and take the risk of being in one of the top ranks, you don't have to all come from the same province or follow any of the residency rules. So they've started to move in that direction. And it's going to be interesting because, again, as has been pointed out, if Brad Gushu doesn't win the Briar next year, he's got two players uh, who are not residents of of Newfoundland. Um, So he's going to have to probably make that decision uh, if he doesn't win the Briar next year, of going the route of just going for the qualification through the four ranks. And if he doesn't make it, I guess he doesn't make it. But I think they've got to slowly move the, the bar here. And they've got to get to a point where, yes, I recognize that those provincial territory representatives have to have a way in. But I think one of the other problems they're going to face right now, and interesting to see when they come up with a title, is the marketing of that event. And it's very difficult now. It's way too long. Same with the Scotties. You've got... Uh, Half the teams don't have a chance yet for the first six, seven days. Everybody knows pretty much who's going to win and who's going to lose. So the marketing of the event decreases considerably from that end of things as well. And that's a a big moneymaker for Curling Canada. And it's been in the decline. And in my opinion, that's why. So they have a challenge. I think they know it. I think the move they've made here this year, they're going in the right direction. And hopefully they keep moving in the right direction to uh, to get it to the position where it's ultimately got to be. Uh, and that's we have to make sure that these top high-performance teams are able to be formed as desired and able to be developed and trained to represent the country. Yeah, but the elephant in the room is still, for these young athletes, how do you afford it? And uh, that's a really, really important thing, you guys. We've got these the teams from outside Canada that are full-time curlers. They, they do it all the time, um, seven days a week, 12 months a year. To me, somehow we've got to uh, build a structure of the sport that can keep the athletes curling. Uh, the ones that are really, really good, the Carson Sturmays that still can't get to the national championship, can't get to the slams um, because you can't get the points, can't, you know, it's just, it's just spinning the wheels. We need to be able to have a system where young teams like that can get into the top 
to the, into the top realm. And uh, I, I just see it being, I guess, an, an, its own entity going forward. I think that's just absolutely crucial. I was always impressed with uh, Brad Gushu when he said, don't give us the money for funding. Give it to younger teams, you know. Um, did he actually say that? Yeah, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> on the podcast, he said it. Okay. Uh, good, on the good. podcast, yeah. <laughs> Good sponsors, yeah. you know. <laughs> I haven't heard anything from this new organization that Nick Adeen is the head of that knocked us out when we heard it. Oh my God, what's going to happen? Mike, you always get the odd scoop here. What do the players want, though? Well, that's the question, right? I think what's so bad that needs to be changed, I guess, is the question that everyone everyone has. And it's it's a, it's an ages-old question. Go back to Kevin and, and Eddie and all the guys back in the day. You know, it's it's a question of access to funding and, and controlling their own destiny, controlling their own media rights, all that sort of stuff, which is good and bad in, in some ways. But, you know, we've seen the, the debate right now on PJ Tour you know, when the tour is the one putting on the events and, and, you know, I'm just, I'll say refer to the slams. It's hard to, it's hard to, you know, complain that you're not getting access to, to your own media rights when it, in fact, it's other people who are putting up the money to, to run events. So I actually don't know what the, what that entity, that player's entity wants. They already have a voice with the players council at the world curling federation. If they want more of a voice, then they just need to be more active. But I, I mean, Kevin would probably know better than I would about, about anything else that's, that's going on with that with that group but when the second players association came forward and i call it second because there was already an existing one i really didn't see the the need for it um you know as i said i'm not uh, not in that world necessarily anymore um so i'm, I'm not sure what the what the what the uh, what the what they want is to answer your question yeah, the thing, Jimmy, when it comes to a players' association, the, there's a players' council at the World Curling Federation, which is great. Players' council at Curling Canada, great. Players' council here, players' council there, great. Uh, but they're not connecting to anything. So you need a players' association desperately to be at all those tables. Otherwise, there's no continuity, obviously. Every, nobody's connected to anybody. Everybody's sitting on their own island. And, and of course, the game goes nowhere. So the players' association is a major piece to growth of any sport in the entire world. You have to have these current players, not retired ones, not people like Mike and I or Joan. We need players that are currently playing in these associations at the table so that the game can progress, looking at it from an organizing, to Mike's point of view, the people that put on the events, and then the players who play in the events. They need, And, of course, the sponsors and the broadcast companies that need to promote the events. They all have to be at the same table and they all have to decide on, oh, so I've got a list of so many things. But scheduling and world rankings are two things that are not being run well in the world of curling right now. So those are two massive uh, undertakings and that's, those are player association issues. They're, they're actually completely player driven because, okay, how much time can you have between the, this last event and the next one if the last event's in, Canada, but the next one's in Asia, followed up by an event in Europe. Well, how's that scheduling supposed to work? Like, or do we have other events kind of on the way? How, how do you work it? Now, those, those are table talks that have to happen. And that, there has to be a player's entity joined to everyone to make that occur. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen properly. I agree with Kevin. You've got to get everybody at the, the same table at the same time to say, all right, if we want to make this work, and we're making it a truly international players association, then... The tour has to be, let's say, agreeable to all these different countries. And as Kevin mentioned, you have a three-week European tour, perhaps, and three weeks or a month in Japan where you can have that opportunity. Again, though, there's funding. You've got to be able to afford that trip over to take part in it. So everybody has that opportunity to get world ranking points and play against the best players in the world because some of these events aren't weighted the same as others because you may have one or two good teams, and then other teams that are still trying to make their way up the rankings. So uh, until they can, I think, get everybody at the table to agree and say, okay, we can do this, not unlike the way the PGA Tour, uh, you know, has their California swing, and then they have their East Coast swing, 
or if I can use the tennis analogy, they've got the hard court season, they've got the grass court season, they've got the clay court season. If you could arrange something there where you can get those seasons to work and the players to get those opportunities to play in those events, then you maybe get that parity that you can see those teams get the opportunity then to appear in international or slam events or things like that, whether they be called slam events overseas or that kind of thing. It's it's difficult because of the fact um, you've got great teams from around the world, but not every country is stocked the way other countries are. I think there's the problem there too. Kevin has always laughed when we talk about how much the game has changed. I mean, obviously the shot making is getting better just because guys curl way more than when you guys did. But uh, Kevin always, and I think you too going, if I had to sweep like they do now, I'd be dead by the time I got to the hog line. How far away are we, Mike, from a like a curling combine where guys got to try out and strength test and? Yeah, and and the other the other thing to consider is injury too. Now that uh, we see the the physical toll and and uh, effort required to actually move the rock, I it wouldn't shock me to see some five person teams start coming out with three front enders, three big strong front enders where they can just rotate in and always have kind of a fresh body. The the nice thing, the good thing for that, it sounds it sounds bad in theory when you think about the skill required to curl to throw the rock properly, but the good news with this sweeping is you actually don't have to be as good anymore. You have a bigger window to throw it through and uh, the guys can move the rock around for you. So it's easier to make shots if you have if you have good sweepers. So what's going to happen is I think you're going to see bigger, stronger sweeping athletes have more of a a, a factor on who gets picked on teams, if you know what I mean. So it wouldn't shock me to see a three-person team of, sorry, three-person front end of just just big, strong sweepers who rotate in and out. And, and shot making, as I said, has become much more easy with, with the skill we see from these athletes. So I think that's may, maybe next. And the other part of it is, it's always talked about not allowing teams to play with three, where now it's almost encouraged to play with three. We saw that happen a little bit. And I'll, I'll just use the example of Tiranzoni of the players where um, Briar Herleman was injured, so didn't didn't sweep. So what ended up happening was Carol was doing the brunt of the sweeping. She was actually sweeping six rocks instead of five, right? If, if they played as a three-person team, she's only sweeping five rocks end-to-end instead of six. So I, I just think that uh, you might see teams being forced to play with four players to, to spread out the, uh, the sweeping energy. So anyway, there's, there's a couple of rule changes that might revolve around sweeping. That's, that's what I see coming, coming down the pipe. I don't agree with, with Mike about uh, how things have changed. Guess what? All of us front-enders uh, played uh, 10 ends back in the day, and you swept all the rocks. You didn't take turns on one side or the other. So I think that, that many of us that have our career front-enders would say it's as difficult. It's just that people now are, are really paying attention to how hard it is on the body and that you do create more injuries. There's far more events that we play in than what we used to play in. I think that's part of what's going on. I also find it very interesting when we talk about people saying that you don't actually have to throw the rock very well because the sweepers can manipulate the rock. That's not so much in women's curling. So we need to address that. There are numbers out there. We are not even half as effective as to as male curlers in sweeping and managing the stone. So what does that mean for women's curling? It means we have to be more accurate. It means that we have to call a game that that uh, has a little bit of more odds of whether you'll make a shot or whether you won't. Um, and I think that the the idea that uh, sweepers are they are more fit because they have more time to put into it. But I think there's, um, I don't know if it's as big of a change as, as what uh, you're making it out to be. Well, we're on a sweeping topic. Let's uh, go deeper in that one because the WCF is going to do a study and uh, they're doing the study because there's some concern about what carving is actually doing. Some people seem to believe that there's concern as well, that you can actually slow a rock down on the right kind of ice conditions with sweeping. So they're going to do this study. What if they come back and say, wow, yeah, it is doing all these things. Is there need to, again, investigate changing the, the brush heads or 
what do we do if it's found that we're having a greater influence on those rocks with, with these big, strong guys than we even think they are? When it comes to sweeping, I don't pretend to be like Joan or any of the great sweepers. That's not me. But I do ask Karik. In Ottawa, at the Briar, for example, this year, they had a really, really crispy surface, really nice surface at the Briar. And Karik didn't think that the carving was doing as much on that surface. But then watching the worlds in Ottawa, thinking that, wow, it is really affecting the surface big time. He agreed that the rocks could be slowing down because of the carving just taking away the pebble completely. Karik seems to think that it's a bit, yes, broom-related, yes, athlete strength-related and sweeping speed-related, but also ice, surface, humidity. So it, it's a much larger question, I think, that needs to be answered. And that's part of this, this uh, sweeping s- survey. I was sitting at the table with, with some of this WCF when this was being talked about, and they want to make sure that they do this test with more, not just in one building, or at least not one situation, because that won't tell the tale. They need to get in high humidity, low humidity, different different situations. That's what it's about. Some buildings, there's there's no dehumidification. And other buildings, it's almost raining from the ceiling. And other ones, Faldzi, our voice is gone in an hour because it's so dry. So these are all the different buildings that the ice makers and the sweepers have to, to compete in. And the results of the sweeping to the ice surface are different. Well, I also think that they're, that testing, Kevin, I think, I think there still is, even though that everybody's using the same fabric, there is differences in the, in the brooms from the different manufacturers. And I, I do think that that has to be taken into account as well, that there really hasn't been a control study on one piece of equipment. They're all slightly different. And as you said, different buildings and different conditions will mean different brooms will be effective. It's just like, it's like, and it's, the, the way the golf is advanced too, with the, you know, where they put the weight uh, in the, in the club head and just the advances in that, I guess you have to, you have to be consistent and you have to have yourself a, a, a list of specifications that the, the brooms have to meet. Um, I mean, otherwise we go back to Broomgate from uh, what, five, six years ago, and nobody wants to go through that again. Um but it has, that's been, I think, the, the, one of the biggest changes in the game is the way that uh, they sweep. And Warren and, and Kevin, you go back to the, the days where, you know, there was all, and Joan, and there was always two front enders handling the rock. And now you see the one guy as an escort and a cheering squad for the, the one doing the work. So they've got to now, I think, make sure they have that list of specifications to make sure um, that we don't have one having an advantage over the other. It's like, remember the grooves on the golf clubs, the square grooves and the round grooves that caused all that problem for a while on tour until they came up with a rule saying you can't have that. Now, I think we have to be consistent and allow the manufacturers to try to make technical advances, but to make sure that they're fair to everybody involved. Joan, what, uh, I guess before we let you guys go, um, the topic du jour is, is the rules. And, you know, the big one is, I think everyone, well, not everyone, thinks it should go to eight ends. What do you think about the rule changes that happened this year, some of the experiments, and what do you think going forward, Joan, should be done? Um, I, I really, I am actually surprised to see how universally accepted uh, that no tick has become to play it throughout an entire game, that that actually is, was accepted really easily, that, that most people would say that that's not a problem. A completely no tick center line throughout an entire game. I am also very surprised to see that there isn't more movement to what are we doing playing 10 ends? <laughs> I, I like, it just seems like such an obvious solution to, and for so many good reasons to just change to one, one length of game and uh, that it, it appears to be eight ends is the overwhelming uh, champion to that. And that's a, something where this newly formed players association I think really should have some Im- input on is do you want to play eight ends? It should be coming from the players. And I know there's marketing to do with that as well, but I think there's some, some adjustments to that. Well, yes, but I've done some investigation here lately with the world curling federation because at their meetings coming up in, I believe the end of September, October, 
This is supposed to be on the agenda again as to what they're going to do with that. And the indication I'm getting at this point in time is they're going to punt again. <laughs> and they're probably not going to do anything with this until the next Olympics, the next quad is completed. It's an interesting scenario they're dealing with because they're looking at reducing the game by two ends. From their point of view, it uh, diminishes a lot of the marketing value. And they're talking about they're selling a lot of sponsorships in different countries based on impressions, yada, yada, yada. But um, I think, again, there's ways of doing this that are better than what's currently being offered. And I think it's a matter of adjusting how you apply the marketing principles and I think they understand that they've got to probably go to eight ends, but I think they're trying to get the ducks in line with all their member uh, associations before they make the move. So I don't think anything's going to happen with this until after 2026 from what I'm hearing. And uh, hopefully at that point in time, they will make the move. But in the meantime, I think it's going to stay where it is, is the way I would read it right now. Falsey, you've been covering the game a long time. We're going to give you the last word. Uh, what I like the fact is I, I think if we could get to a consistent uh, length of game, that'd be great. If it was eight ends and everybody played eight ends, that's fine. However, we have seen, you know, you get a lead or a one point lead and you get into the sixth end. It's tough to try to, to make it back. I love the no tick now uh, to see it the way it's been used. I like the tick shot. I thought that was a really cool to watch it, uh, how that worked. Now the no ticks in effect. I, I think the story that really captures me is the fun of watching mixed doubles that sport now is starting to take off i enjoy watching it it i'm seeing more people at our club picking it up and other clubs talking about it and i think as we go forward that might be the advent and i know that you've got what what do you get that magic trio one kevin you've mentioned to me before the the three-man curling but mixed doubles has been fun to watch i have never ever called a game i've watched mike and others do it it uh it looks like you, you can't turn your head away for a second because the shot making is remarkable in the amount of rocks in play. But uh, that's probably what I take away from the season. We've seen some great curling, some great athletes, and some great performances. The success and, and I think the future of curling might be in mixed doubles and getting people on the ice. They have fun. It's fast-paced, high-scoring, and uh, that could be maybe where you get the next generation involved and excited about uh, being on the ice. Brilliant. How'd you get so smart, Falsey? I read uh, Warren's book. <laughs> uh, listen, you guys, what a great year. Uh, you did an unbelievable job uh, with Sportsnet bringing, bringing curling to all of us. And uh, we look forward to, uh, to next year. I'm sure you guys are good to go. Uh, Falsey, what's up for the summer? I've got tennis coming up, uh, the uh, National Bank Open in Toronto. I'd, uh, I've got the men's competition there. Uh, Carolyn Cameron will handle the action from Montreal in the women's uh, event. So, Looking forward to that. So, you know, just finished watching a fair bit of the uh, French Open and now getting ready for the grass court season. Start to do notes again for a different sport. Another one that I'm not very good at. No rest for the, no, you're good at it. No rest for the <laughs> wicked, man. Oh, I meant I meant to, to, to relax. Well, I play, I play like you. I play golf very badly. Okay, <laughs> good. And uh, I've got a seven-year-old granddaughter who exhausts me. So how's that? <laughs> That's very good. Joan, how, how about you, Joni? What are you doing for the summer? <laughs> Uh, I I had a very, very busy on-season uh, with coaching, curling, commentating, co curling, and, and chasing some of my, my kids and university sport. And so when the Champions Cup was over, I moved out to the lake. And uh, I'm very active here at the golf course every day um, and uh, really relaxing and trying to catch up with uh, my family and friends that I really didn't see for seven or eight months during the curling season. So I've got the... I've got the great life going on right now. Good for you. Uh, great job, you guys, and uh, enjoy your summer, and uh, thank you for, for jumping on and doing this today, and uh, take it easy, Rob. See you, Joan. Thanks again. Thanks, Joan. Thanks, Rob. Hey, thanks, you guys. That was awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a great summer, everybody. Nice, uh, nice chatting with all of you. Thank you, everybody. Have fun, Joan. You can uncork that bottle of wine now. Uh, so there it is, boys. Uh, that was a great wrap, Kev, with your crew. Sounds like I said, sounds like it's a lot of fun. How do you put it in a nutshell, Kev, in 30 seconds, the year? Yeah, what a year. You know, to Falsey's point, I am the rookie when it comes to uh, the crew. Uh, 
a nine-year rookie now. It's hard to believe it's been that long, but uh, love it. Um, it's really exciting to get together with the guys, but what a year for, I think, new teams with Retornaz winning, with Fujisawa winning a slam, and with uh, Isabella Verano winning a slam. It's quite amazing, the growth of these young athletes, and I guess that's the exciting part for me going forward. So if I can wrap this year, it was kind of a year of the of the big wins for young teams and kind of teams that hadn't won at that level before. And that's a big deal going forward because what you see is a changing landscape uh, on the Grand Slam uh, Tour, which I think is fantastic. What can we expect from you next year, Warren? Is Are you grumpy about the year or are you happy? Okay, this is important to know. I'm happy about some things, Jim, and grumpy about some others. <laughs> a little bit of each. <laughs> I think we're moving in the right direction, but there's still a lot of things, I think, in the sport that's got to be tackled, and hopefully it will be in the coming year. It's at least start to be. Cool. Uh, so there you have it. There's uh, our season in the books. Uh, we'll take a little time off, and we'll be back again, of course. Uh, we'd like to remind you about uh, this project we're looking at doing, uh, Inside Curling Outreach. Uh, Inside Curling, we're currently considering taking the show on the road. Love road trips, Martin. Love the road trips. But I'm getting my own room. You can room with uh, you can room with Hanson and stay up all night. Okay. You'll be at the YMCA. <laughs> In 23-24, we're looking at possibly taking a, a day-long presentation into a number of communities where the program would actually involve the recording of a show. And then we do like a hot stove with Kevin. You'll get to get close to him and a bunch of other ideas that we're working on. Uh, if you think your community would uh, love to have this, uh, drop us an email, insidecurling at gmail.com, and we can end up live and in color. Big thank you to Rod Paulson. He's been with us right from the get-go, uh, doing all our marketing and Facebook page and, uh, and, and all the social media stuff. His company is In-House Strategies, and he does unbelievable work. If you need that service, uh, get a hold of Rod. If you don't belong to our Facebook group, get on there. Let's go. Uh, we always pluck a few... Comments from people on the Facebook group. Uh, send us an email, insidecurling at gmail.com. Thanks a lot to all the support we get from our sponsors, Sports Interaction, Coyote Boost, Hearing Life, and Goldline, who make all of this possible. Before we go, though, we better we better uh, do an extended thank you to me. No. <laughs> Mike Rogerson. Uh, Mike, great job, man. He's been the producer of this. And, and I'll tell you what he's had. <laughs> He's had his hand. I could just see him rolling his eyes every show going, okay, there's the 29th edit I've got to do. There's the 50th I got to do. Mike, you've done an unbelievable job. We really appreciate it. And the head of it is Amal uh, Delic, who's been who's been coordinating all this, and uh, he's been great to work with, and, and all the crew at Sportsnet uh, who've done this. We really appreciate it. So, Kev, don't be a stranger. Warren, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll talk to you over the summer. And uh, take it easy, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Inside Curling. Have a good summer, boys. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson earbite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.